Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Dribble Podcast. My name is Craig O'Donoghue from the West Australian Newspaper, taking you through another season of talking to guests from the Perth Wildcats, Perth Lynx, and WA Basketball in general to give you the best insight possible into what's happening in the sport throughout this state. In this week's episode, we'll be joined by Perth Wildcats General Manager of Basketball, Danny Mills, after a pulsating finish to the NBL regular season as the Wildcats returned to the finals action. And we'll recap on the Perth Lynx season as the WNBL heads into a week off. But first, what a difference a year makes. For the win, Bryce Cotton, that's only for two, doesn't get it. And the unthinkable has happened. The Wildcats season hangs on the last play of the last game. Vasilevic off the inbound, misses. The Wildcats erase the demons of last season and will return to the postseason. Yes, the Wildcats are back in the finals, and one man who will experience it all for the first time in the NBL is their general manager of basketball operations, Danny Mills. Danny, welcome back to the Dribble Podcast. Thanks, Craig. Always good to be on there with you. Now, this is one of the positive ones. We've had to go negative with you a fair bit, it's fair to say. The last time you were on in November was when times were really tough, um, and we had some times with you last year where things were really were even worse, I reckon, but now things are going really well again. What's the feeling like for you to be in, in this position now, knowing that all the hard work has got you back to where you really want to be? Yeah, I think there's, there's a mix of feelings, isn't there? Like satisfaction, relief, and just, I think... Um, <clears throat> just really, really happy for the group that, you know, we um, were able to kind of carve that one out in the end. And I mean, absolutely crazy situation and talk about intense last few minutes um, and for the guys to get rewarded and kind of, you know, we, we go into this playoff uh, run now with um, a clean slate. It's, it's, oh, oh, it's zero, zero. It's, it's a new season. Um, and for us, you know, we're, we've, uh, we feel like we've got some momentum and um, we're really excited to, to, to get going on Thursday night. So let's go back to that final minute. How were you? Oh, mate, um, mentally exhausted after it. I, thinking about that final couple of minutes, obviously, I think you re-watching the game Sunday night uh, at home, you know, you looked at, I think it was five minutes and we got up 23. And obviously in the back of our heads, knowing that, it, that the number was 11 um, to win by and then just seeing them slowly chip away. <laughs> Um, but always having the belief, I mean, just to, to see the, just how calm JR was for one. And then to see the guys just, I mean, Brady's free throws, I mean, talk about clutch. Um, and then just the way Corey, I think that Corey jumper in the lane against Justin Simon, maybe the best defensive player in the league. Um, and then LT, I mean, you know, just talk about those three guys, let alone the rest of the rest of the group, but those three guys in particular were just absolutely outstanding. And to bounce back after the disappointment on Friday, um, you know, that was that was really pleasing to see. And I think it was just um, kind of encapsulates our season. It's just been up and down, um, which has been frustrating for us. And I'm sure it's frustrating for a lot of fans to, to watch. But, you know, every time we've had our back against the wall, and there's been multiple times, we've, uh, guys have, you know, knuckled down and we've, and we've got results. Um, you talk about the New Zealand game, the Adelaide games, there were, there were multiple games that we've just, that we've had our backs against the wall. We could have gone down five and eight, five and nine with our record and we just kept battling. And for us to finish 15 and 13 and, and get into the playoff tournament, that's, that's all you need. You just need a chance and that's what we've got. And we're, we're ready to, um, take on the underdog tag and, and, and prove people wrong. 
I reckon if any of the listeners want to know what it's like to be stressed out, go back and watch the last minute and just watch Danny. You can see him. He's, he's standing in the tunnel. He's in a grey jacket. And if you watch him, at one stage you punch the sky. At one stage your head's in your hands. You've got your, he- you got your hands on your heads at one point. You're praying at another point. And then when Vasilya Mitch misses the shot, it's two fists in the air, absolutely pumped. Like It's, it's a hard life for you live, isn't it, when you've got no control, but you put it all together and everything that you've tried to do is just tra- transferring on court at the moment. It's like, will this work or not? It's, it's not an easy life you live, is it? No, and you hit it on the head. The, the lack of control is um, is something that I've, you know, I would, you obviously come to realize it really quickly. You have no control once the guys step on the court. Like, all the work's been done, the preparation's done, and it's, it's up to the guys and the coaches to make adjustments, but really it's on the players to perform, and that's why they're elite at what they do. That's why they're professionals. Um, but, yeah, over the last two years, we've had a lot of ups and downs, and... Um, you know, I try and I try and be pretty um, pragmatic about things and look at the long lens. Um, but when you're in those sort of moments and there's so much riding on that, not just that game, that last minute, that last shot, it's it's hard not to be emotional. Um, and so there was a sense of relief and to see, just to see the fans. I mean, you know, for them to to, to be part of that moment and just how unbelievable our fan base has been. I mean, really, it started, I felt, when we came back from that long road trip and we played New Zealand on that uh, Tuesday night and we had a big win and they were unbelievable. And then, obviously, the open air game and then, obviously, the Sydney game. And since then, like, they've been incredible. And it, it really is such a home court advantage for us. And, um, you know, the goal now is to get another game back there. So that's that's the goal. And to do that, we got we got we got to win two in a row. So we're, um, we're kind of gunning for that. So I actually spoke to Hachia after the game, and um, he said that he's never experienced a weekend in sport like he did over, over here. He went to the Scorchers on Saturday night, and he said yeah, that was out of control. Um, and then Sunday was just nuts. And his comment was that the passion and unity shown by WA sporting fans is unique in this country, and he doesn't think it certainly would occur in Victoria. You've worked in Philly where it's well and truly out of control. How do we compare to, to some of the markets you've, you've seen where people just love their sport compared to what, what we have here, which was nuts? the other day i mean it's 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 right up there if it's not the top i mean perth sport fans and you know i i grew up in perth as a as a wildcats fan as an eagles fan i remember being at the 95 wildcats grand final game three when they beat north melbourne um and just to see the the passion of the west australian supporters is very very unique and obviously we've got a incredible fan base that's extremely loyal and um and, and really, really give us that six-man edge. Um, but but Hutchie's right. Like, I wasn't at the Scorchers game, but I watched the end of it. I mean, to see that young guy getting his name, but 19 years old, had faced maybe 11 balls all season to hit two sixes to win it. Like, just absolutely insane in front of 55,000. And then for the city to back it up and be that vocal and that good in a packed out RAC like it just shows you how special special of a city Perth is and it's just a unique place to to live and to um and to and to be involved with community like that but yeah I guess sorry to you to the other side of your question Philadelphia's uh, intense in a different way like um you know you could be you could have a record of 32 and 10 on top of the Eastern Conference and if you come out in the in the in the, in the first half of the next game and don't play well and you're down 20 they will boo you <laughs> Off the change rooms, like they are, they are intense, um, and they expect they expect a good performance, and and they'll let you know if you're not if you're not doing it. So it is, um, it's it's different, but the passion and the, um, I guess the the blue collar attitude of um of of both cities, I think, kind of comes through with their sporting events, um, and and their, and their 
fan bases and it's it's just amazing to be a part of. So the day itself w- was really interesting. Hutchie was sitting in the box directly opposite from where you sit on the other side of the court and he looked ill for the entire day. And he'd watched the United game beforehand and ridden those bumps. You you didn't watch the United game. You were chatting to some Sydney officials beforehand. Did you not want to watch that game? Could you not handle the four hours of hell? What, what, was, your, what was your approach to the day? <laughs> um... Yeah, like I, I started watching it a little bit and I just, I couldn't. Like, again, it, you, you, we can't control any of that. So for me, it was just like go about your game day as usual, go watch the other team, go through their warm-ups. Um, you know, obviously we know guys from each team and, you know, I had a good chat with, with Chris and Paul Smith and, and, and some of their staff that I know and just try to make things as normal as usual while you've got nerves in your stomach. And then obviously, um, you know, I did come in to, at the end because we had to know the final score and obviously seeing Hutchie in there and, um, and some of the other staff and um, just seeing what Melbourne did in those last 30 seconds was, uh, I guess, interesting is a good word. Um, and just kind of like, geez, all right, we're, we're kind of up against it now, but this is a situation we, we put ourselves in it. Um, and to the guy's credit and to John's credit, uh, manage, manage the game absolutely unbelievably well and I mean that'll just go down as just an incredible moment in sports in in Perth and then there there was the real life drama after half time so in a season where you made the finals by two points and would have missed if Vasilic's three point shot had landed you were docked at one point during half time after ruling that Luke Travers's three point shot which bounced high off the rim with 118 remaining in the first half was touched by Xavier Cooks before it went through the basket and John was apoplectic when he found out early in the third quarter he could not believe it and if people watch the replay they'll see you disappearing and reappearing from the tunnel about five times in the next ten minutes in different levels of agitation where were you going, what were you doing and what what were you hoping to achieve even though in the end it didn't matter (laughs) Um, if I disclose everything I don't want to get fined Um, but yeah I mean in a game with that much at stake and that much meaning to it, to come out and just be told that, you know, there was a one point taken off knowing that we had 11 to make up. Um, yeah, we had to know why and had to know what we could do in case, you know, we weren't uh, to get to that 11 and it was 10. So um, just making a lot of calls and making sure we had all bases covered, obviously. Like, uh, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, probably missed half that third quarter. And some of the fourth, just making sure we had things ticked off. But yeah, I mean, these are just experiences and things you have to live through and, and, and you learn from. But um, obviously things worked out um, the way they were meant to. And um, luckily that didn't come into play. But um, I mean, that was definitely at the back of the mind that like if that point comes into play, geez, this could be an interesting next 48 hours. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was what the journos were certainly saying sitting at the table. We're like, well, this had better not be a 10-point result or this final series <laughs> might not be starting when the NBL wanted to. Uh. Uh, but it is amazing you know, the way it, it all worked out. And I reckon the person who uh, 100 years ago, however, however long it was, you came up with the idea of percentage in, in sporting entertainment is an absolute genius. You were still working out a plan to get to Australia from the US during the 2021 AFL season. And AFL footy is, is big on percentage, but... This is the call of the dying stages of the Brisbane v West Coast game that year. The Lions are leading by 31 points and need to win by 32 to finish in the top four and get the crucial advantage of a double chance instead of playing an elimination final in the first week. This is the drama that that was, and it's very comparable to yours. Brace yourself, everybody. There's 30 seconds left. Can they get a point from somewhere, from anywhere? The defender, Stasevich. McCarthy! Oh! It's a behind! It's a behind! Make it a double! The Brisbane Lions 
So just pure drama where the result of the game is known, but the result of the season isn't. It's so great to watch. And it's amazed me that coaches are still telling players to dribble out the clock when we have examples like that going on. And the NBL has been doing it for six seasons. Is the trend of dribbling out the clock dead forever now, do you reckon? It's such an interesting topic. Um, and coming back to the NBL last season and obviously this year, um, understanding percentages, the first tiebreaker, right? And it's not head to head. Um, so that's, those are the rules at the moment. Uh, and if they're not changed, they'll be the rules. So yeah, like, I mean, that's literally, that's what could have happened to us. And so there's multiple games where you look at it, you're like, geez, um, you have to play until the final buzzer. You have to go score on teams in the final seconds, even if you're up 30 or to the detriment. And this is what I don't like about the percentage system is it doesn't give the development players or guys that don't get a run usually in the game, any chance to come on and play valuable minutes when they should. So if you're up 25 or three minutes left in a regular season game, you should be putting guys on. Otherwise, they're not getting a chance to play. How are they going to develop? And yet we're forced to put guys or, or leave starters on, risk injury, because you have to get this percentage going just in case you come into a situation like we did. And so I think there's, it's a double-edged sword. I understand that's how it's the tiebreaker is right now. I don't know many basketball leagues around the world that go by percentage. I know it's an Australian thing with football and obviously it played out fantastically for the NBL this year, but um, ideally I think it is head to head as your tiebreaker. And obviously, um, you know, that wouldn't have gone in our favor because Melbourne had a tiebreaker on us, but I I think in basketball, that's probably how it has to go forward. um, As that's just the the nature of the game. It's completely different sport to football in terms of the percentage. So, so do you think there yeah, be discuss- will there be discussions around that during the off-season, do you reckon? Oh, uh, it'll be interesting. I think I, I think there's people that are pro and pro and pro for it and, and, and against it. Um, yeah, so I think there's two – I think there's multiple ways you can look at it, but um, I struggle to wrap my head around it just because of the whole fact is when you have a big lead, you want to get your – uh, rotation players out to get the bench on and give them a run. Like otherwise, there's no way you can develop young players, really. And then you've seen it a couple of times this year with NBL teams that there's been. Uh, I think there was a Brisbane game where you know the, some players get agitated that they're down 25 and the team's trying to score on them. So there's just different ways to look at it. Obviously, American sports different and it's not percentage. And I think some of the, some of the foreigners that come into the league don't understand it, and it's hard for them to wrap their head around it. Obviously, in a, as an Australian, you you understand it because you've grown up watching AFL and other sports that go by percentage. So there's two sides to it. Um, but yeah, if if you're asking me right now, I think I would be um, a lot more favourable as, as the head to head in in the first tiebreaker. We did see it in the Adelaide game as well with you guys when you you were up by a truckload and then. Uh, with about 90 seconds to go, or it might have even been longer than that. You put you put your bench on. Guys like Ollie Hayes-Brown got yep. a run who had no many opportunities. Yep. And then Adelaide said, well, this is our chance to get our percentage back. And they had a real crack and scored nine points unanswered in the last minute, which changed the percentage dynamic totally for the re- for the rest of the season. So they knew yep. they were chasing points. You guys were chasing development. It's, a, it's an impossible situation to be in, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And that, that's exactly the game that I point to. Is like, you're up 30 in an incredible event, open air, full crowd, and you want everyone to experience that. And they should, because those guys practice just as much as everyone else and they should get a run. That's how you develop. And for us to keep our starters on just to, you know, put it, put another 30, you know, increase the lead to 35. I just don't think that's in the best spirits of the game. And I don't think it's the way you can develop players going forward. Now, let's go back to when you were in here and, and a guest in November. When you came in, you were four and five, percentage of 99.21, and the team was averaging 84.5 points a game. Since then, you've gone 11 and eight, 
with a percentage of just on 101 and an average 95 uh, points per game. So it's it's a significant difference. What changed? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think I think a lot of things changed um, from from that time I was there in November. I mean, obviously, um, since that time, I think we we had um, Brady and, and, and Tayshon really really picked up their performances, uh, and they've been fantastic both together and individually um, on the court. Uh, on both ends of the floor, and I think there was a, there was a big uptake, uh, uptick on, in their performance uh, and production. Uh, and then I think you can look at probably the um, obviously the addition of Ty and being able to to get him out of Turkey and bring him back to the NBL and um, and get him inserted into the lineup. And you know, um, obviously he's had a bit of a hamstring injury, which he's um, fully back from now, and has kind of been in and out of the lineup, just trying to find different minutes. But I think that's just given us some more depth and just another another creator, a guy that can get downhill. He's, he's got some explosiveness where he can separate, uh, get on the rim, as well as playmake. I think he's an underrated playmaker. And then defensively, uh, he's still finding, um, still figuring out how the NBL is refereed. And, you know, he's picking up a couple of cheap fouls here and there and putting himself in some foul trouble early in some games. But other than that, I think he gives us a bit of a, a bit more of an athletic defensive presence in the backcourt, which we're going to rely on going forward. Like a, he's going to be a key, key part of it. So I think there were multiple things, but those three Three, three things stick out to me. Um, obviously, you know, it's, it's, it's duly noted, John, short in the rotation. And, you know, um, it was written about a lot. But I think when you look at it, when he did that, um, we were playing. That was our playoffs. Our playoffs started then. We couldn't afford to lose any more games. And obviously, we couldn't because we, we just scraped in at 15 and 13. So uh, some hard decisions, um, but definitely some bold ones and some ones that were very um, – Took, took a lot of time, took a lot of thought, a lot of research to, to, to do. Um, but I think we made we made them with the right intentions in, in, in mind. And, you know, we put ourselves in a position now to, to play into the postseason and, and um, kind of have a, have a crack at it. So, so how important was that two-week break for the, the fever break during that part of the season when things weren't going well? Did, was that when the meetings took place where you worked out this, uh, this sort of plan or was it a, did it happen a couple of weeks later down the track as you were still in motion of games? Yeah, the November fever break was interesting and I think when you look back, it's amazing the schedule this year. It's crazy that we're already in playoffs to, to think about how quick the season's gone. But we looked at November and I think we only had three games total in that whole month. And I think just the January gone by, I think we had 12. So the imbalance of games throughout the season, if you're looking at just specifically at months, was was interesting. And so obviously managing loads through that time. But that break did give us a chance to evaluate where we were at. We thought we had a pretty good preseason. Um, started out 3-0 and and then obviously um, dropped some form. And then we got to reevaluate, reset, kind of rethink what options we have to retool the roster if we needed to and have that prepared and start doing work then um and then obviously um as we went forward we did make we did make a few decisions there um so definitely important um you know you can look at you can look at the season in multiple parts but i would say yeah that that fever break probably gave us a bit of time to think about where we were at where the league was at really um you know i think you get a pretty good feel of how strong it is the depth at top and if there's any elite elite teams that are standing out and and, and how many teams you think are actually in play for the playoffs, which this year showed eight, you know, which I think is incredible for the NBL, like to keep eight teams in play basically to the last second of the season um, with a chance to actually make the six um, creates. That's exactly what you want as a, as a league. I'm sure the NBL is very happy with how that playing tournament has, um, has, has played out. 
So let's go back to the Ty Webster signing because it's, it's, I find it fascinating what would have been going through your head at the time because you only had the one card to play and you had to decide which card you were going to put down on the table. Were you going to try and go for a big or, and maybe re- replace an import or were you going to try and go for a big from Australia or anywhere or go for best available player and you went best available player even though it wasn't what everyone was suggesting you needed. Take us into your mindset when you have to make the big call and, and you're the one who's, who's got the card in your hand going, well, this is the one I'm playing. Yeah, and I, I think you just said it right. Best available player. Um, obviously, we're looking we're looking to improve the roster and especially look you know address our weaknesses. And um, the best available player was Ty. I mean, we were you could only replace an Australian unless you unless you um, you know were decided to to move on from one of the Americans, which we weren't doing. Um, and so to replace um, to replace an Australian, you had to look at the market and who's who's under contract um, outside of Australia that you could potentially lure back. Um, and, and was available and yeah obviously we looked we we looked at positional needs uh, and then we and then we have to go best available and what could help us and you know there were there were a couple of needs I've, both John and I felt and uh, we presented some ideas to, to obviously the ownership and um, it was a absolute consensus from John and I that if, if Ty was available and he wanted to come back and obviously having Corey on the roster helped help help that as well um, the attractiveness to come to Perth um, yeah, you know, and, and we put the balls in motion, and you know, it um, it took a while, but um, yeah, absolutely thrilled that we were able to to come to terms and and um, and, and getting released from Turkey, and um, yeah, I guess time will tell. And that, so that's the first really massive decision they had. And then you look at John really first year head coach, and he made two massive calls. The first to change the starters and reduce the rotations, and the second was to not tell the players the margin they needed to win by on the weekend. Um, so he, he made some. They're, they're not easy decisions to make, and you're either going to be look like a genius or an idiot. Either way, how have you seen his development in terms of being the man when, who has to make make those calls and go right? No, I'm I'm going down this path, and I'm sticking to it no matter what. Yeah, John's been absolutely unbelievable this season through the ups and downs. You know, like you said, a first-year head coach to come into a situation like this with the amount of pressure and the expectation that that you have at Perth, which is exactly why you wanted the job. And it's the same for me. It's exactly why you come and are attracted to a place like Perth because there are expectations. Um, he's been unbelievable the way he steered, steered this group through the ups and downs, the highs and lows, um, and he's made some big calls. Um, and, and that's what you have to do in that top job. You know, it's at the end of the day, it's, you take advice, you talk to your assistants, you, we have big discussions, um, you look at data and then you go with your gut feel and he's done it on multiple occasions. And I would say for the better, better part of it, he's, he's come out on top and you know, that was him as a player. He was, um, I would say he was, he was an aggressive risk taker as a player and an elite, an elite player at that. Uh, and I think you can see some of that in his coaching. And he's very, very co- confident and comfortable in his own skin. Um, and, you know, I mean, he's going to be, he's going to have a hell of a, hell of a head coaching career. This is just year one. And we're very excited that he's um, that he's with us at the Perth Wildcats. So, so it's one thing to have the ideas; it's another to sell the message and get everyone to embrace it and, and be all in over it. And we saw the Adelaide disaster this year with Craig Randall, and what happens when this team disunity. You had every single ingredient for the recipe of internal problems when you're t- going to turn to talented players and say you're going to sit on the bench for a while. But nobody tried to make that cake. Everyone's just put the ingredients back on the table and gone. No worries, we'll all work together and help this to work. How did you handle? the conversations with those blokes to say, look, you're going to play less, but this is why. Yeah, it's not easy. You know, these guys are professionals, you know. Um, there's guys that have been um, as starters or at least 
heavy minute rotation players for the majority, if not all their career. And to be uh, quickly put into a reserve role and some at some point quickly put as a DMP CD uh, on the bench, um, difficult. But to their credit, um, these guys have stuck together, and I think that's the the beauty of our group. It's um, our leadership leadership from from Jesse Wagstaff to Mitch Norton down through Kyle Zunick. Um, you know, these guys um, have just stuck together, and they want what's best for the team. And when those changes happened, and we started winning, like there's not much else you can do. Um, and obviously. It's it's not easy, but um, if you're if, if you're in it for the right reasons, and I believe all all uh, fifteen of our guys are, uh, and staff obviously, um, you know, you you buy in, you accept your role, you do you do what's asked, um, you go out every practice and game and give it one hundred ten percent, and and good things will happen. Um, and, you know, there'll be ups and downs, but over the long haul, um, you know, results will take care of themselves. And I think we've seen that. And so, yeah, credit, absolute credit to our playing group to, to stick with it, to believe in John, for John to believe in them, in their roles. And, um, yeah, like I said, we'll, uh, time, time will tell. But, you know, um, these guys have, have been absolute um, professionals over the last, you know, couple of months. Now, it's 10 past one on Tuesday as we're recording this. We upload on a Wednesday, as regular listeners would know. So we don't know whether Bryce Cotton has won the MVP award and we and it won't be covering it in this podcast because we can't pitch into the future. So, But we can talk about the game itself. You, you've played the Phoenix three times this season. They won by one point in one game. You won by seven points in another, and they won by 21 points in the other. Um, you're down significantly in the rebounding against them and points in the paint as well. So if they do that again, it's fair to say they're most likely to win. If you take away their strengths, um, then it's all good, and you'll probably win the game yourselves. Is that the way you look at it? It's their massive strengths versus your massive strengths. I think so, yeah. And I think I think as a coaching staff, and, and as our staff goes through breaking down our games against them and then their recent film and how they're playing um, and how we can exploit what they don't do well and what we have to defend that they do do well. Um, they're an incredibly talented team, maybe the most talented team one through 11 in, 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 in the competition. Uh, they've done a great job putting that roster together and they've been talented for years now since they've come into the league. I think Tommy Greer and Simon Mitchell have done a fantastic job. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it's, no, it's no easy task and we're, and we're on the road. Um, and we're at John Kane Arena and they're going to have a big, loud crowd and there's going to be pressure on both teams. It's not just a, a game one. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a do or die game. Um, win, you advance, lose, you're out. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's exciting for us. I think we, we match up well um, on, on, in some areas and other areas, yeah, we're going to have to combat what they do well. Um, and defensively, we're going to have to be really good. We're, like, like you said that last that last game we we played against them at the state center um obviously we we're coming off that high after that sydney kings win and the tough travel day but um we came out and just didn't didn't compete and you can just see how devastating they are in the offensive glass i think they're the best offensive rebounding team in the league by quite a margin they've got some really really good interior players and then obviously they've got you know an mvp candidate mitch creek who's who's one of the elite players in this league and will continue to be so for the next couple of years i would imagine so um it's, it's a it's a big task but you know we've got a lot of guys on our roster that have been there and done it and we're going to rely on their experience to kind of carry us over the line and how's to sean thomas's knee given you need he, that big unit to be standing there stopping their big units yeah so so tayshawn's put up very well um you know he's still um 
you know, day to day with some medical staff at the moment and all of that. But yeah, all, all signs point to him being 100% ready for, for Thursday, which is great. Obviously, we're not going to push anything during practices. But um, yeah, no, Tayshawn's a warrior. He's been in these situations before. You know, he's been a, a 10 year pro, he's played all over Europe. Um, and, you know, we're fully expecting him to come out and to, uh, and to perform to the best of his ability on Thursday. And what about your role for the next, or however long the season goes for? You're clearly planning for the future around you, this team winning the title, and you, you flew out on Monday for the MVP awards in Melbourne. You're there at the moment. You'll stay for the game on Thursday. If you win, you play the loser of Cairns in Tasmania, and that will be on Sunday. If you win that, you'll face Sydney in Sydney next Wednesday, followed by a home game here on the on Friday, Feb 17. So you'll be all over the country, You got to, and you have to plan that. So the sixth place team gets the most savage schedule, as they should in, in this sort of a circumstance. So how are you approaching the travel, the time away, and the total uncertainty of what's going to be for the next couple of weeks? Yeah, I mean, the travel is what it is, right? I mean, our guys are professionals. They've, they've done this their whole careers. Um, yeah, I think we would have loved to have controlled our own destiny and, and had a home final at least and not put ourselves in sixth spot. But that was that was up to us. We didn't take care of business, and now we're on the road. Um, and so it's, it is a, it's a, it's a road warrior mentality. Now guys have packed for 11 days. We're not coming home until next Thursday. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of planning goes in place. We've got a fantastic staff with Josh Kavanagh and Hayden Timmons, our team manager. And, and, you know, we're working closely with JR and his staff on what we can do to, you know, help make the guys feel best at home while we're on the road. Um, and obviously it's been prolonged by having to travel on the Monday instead of the Wednesday to come to Melbourne for the awards. But I guess the benefit, not the benefit, but the pro to that is the awards are in Melbourne and our game's in Melbourne. So we're not actually getting on another flight on Wednesday. So um, is it challenging? Yes. Um, is it something I think our guys are up for 100%? I think we knew this was going to be part of the scenario over the last few weeks. We were going to be traveling for at least some of these um, playing games. Um, and so, yeah, I, th- I think everyone looks at it as a, as a big challenge. And I think even as you look at it um, from afar, you really when you get on the road, it's that tight, you know, the guys form that tight bond and, you know, everyone's in it um, for each other and they're rallying around everyone and they're spending a lot more time together as opposed to being at home and you're practicing you're out by one or two in the other and you don't see, see everyone until the next day. So, you know, you have team dinners and lunches and guys get to know each other a bit more. And so, that can be a bonus, um, but yeah, it is going to be taxing. Guys are going to be, um, you know, going to have to really recover quicker than, than being at home, but um, we're embracing it, um, and I know everyone's really, really excited for Thursday night. The Ted Lasso t-shirt of John Really Believe was just fantastic, <laughs> and it's clear that he's, he's setting a theme. I've got to ask you about Bryce Cotton. Um, let's listen to his description of his two of 20 game on Sunday. Man, that was a pretty piss-poor game by me. Can we replace the word man with fair income? That was a pretty piss poor game by me. He gets his Australian citizenship. Quite seriously, we've spoken to, I've spoken to so many people about this in recent weeks, and it feels like he is stuck in the middle of red tape with everyone blaming each other. And I know your legal advice is you can't say a lot and stay quiet, but I'm curious, do you feel like the process itself of just getting a talented athlete naturalised is just way too complicated? Yes. I mean, that's my answer to that is yes, uh, if that's the question. Um, yeah, it's it, it, it really is. I mean, there's a lot to it. But if you have a talented athlete like Bryce that's a once-in-a-generation type import that's coming to the NBL, has, has made his life in Perth, has an Australian wife, an Australian daughter, 
and wants to be here and wants to represent his country, I just it, it's it's mind boggling why there won't be more support for that. And, you know, that's, again, that's above our head at the moment. And we're doing everything we can behind the scenes. And we'll support Bryce in, in absolutely every way we can. And we are and we have been. Um, but until until he uh, gets that uh, passport in his hand, then that's kind of where, where, where it's at. And it's, it's disappointing. But um, we all know as a club that um, we're doing absolutely as much as we can. And um, it'll happen. Um, I've said that for the last 20 months since I've had the job, it'll happen. And when it does, it'll be an incredible day for Bryce especially, but also I think for the Perth Wildcats and for Australian basketball in general. Yeah, I reckon the entire world will go, hallelujah, it's finally happened. So, that's, yeah, so I appreciate uh, you commenting on that. I know it's difficult with the, the legal advice you're given not to upset the government in any, in any way, given you don't want any more delays. Now, your parting words to Wildcats fans when you're in here in November were to stick with us, and you've certainly given them a ride, and, and now you're back in finals. So well done. It's been, it hasn't been easy for you at all for the past um, two years, that's for sure, but you've, uh, you've worked your butt off to tr- try to help this team and get them to where they are. So thank you very much for your time. And, um, and, and good luck for what hopefully will be an extended final series for you. No, thanks, Craig. We really, really appreciate your support of the of the club. You, know, you cover us extensively through the highs and lows, but you're always very fair and um, yeah, always happy to come on the podcast, mate. Thank you. And good luck for the MVP awards tonight. Hopefully, whenever he is, this Bryce Cotton will be the MVP. So enjoy the night. Thanks, mate. Now, Danny couldn't discuss a lot of the Bryce situation, uh, but here is an update on every single thing that we've reported in terms of key developments since Australia Day. Now, a Freedom of Information investigation uh, by us found that 68 people who received Distinguished Talent or Global Talent visas in 2021, that's the same year Bryce received his Distinguished Talent visa, we found out that 68 of those are now Australian citizens, which means 68 people have been fast-tracked ahead of him. Uh, Those people would not normally be Australian citizens in the normal timelines. That was a really interesting and important development. Then the Australian Olympic Committee revealed Basketball Australia had withdrawn the request for Bryce to be fast-tracked because he didn't meet the criteria of being in the Olympic team. That prompted Andrew Gaze to demand BA change their position and get Cotton naturalised just in case the big-name NBA players are unavailable. Obviously, Bryce and Matisse Thibel are competing for the same spot uh, as the only one naturalised or dual citizen is allowed to become part of a FIBA basketball uh, tournament for Australia or any other country. But then BA explained that they were required to 100% guarantee that Bryce would be in the 12-man team to play at the Olympics in order to get a AOC report and you can support and then you can see why therefore they weren't prepared to say well he's in um, to get it fast tracked because they need to know is he going to be fit is he going to be healthy is he still going to be in form is someone else going to jump off the page in a couple of months time or next year to demand a spot in that team so it's a really complicated situation the Australian Citizenship Act is a large document it comprises almost 28,000 words The word simplified appears in there 23 times. One thing that is extremely obvious is nothing is simple when it comes to Bryce Cotton's citizenship application. It is mired in red tape. Now, Perth Lynx, they had a rough week. Two home losses to Townsville have well and truly put them under the pump. They lacked focus on Wednesday amid Charlotte Hill's late switch from Sydney to Townsville. 
One thing that is clear is despite elite athletes constantly talking about controlling the controllables, the reality for us all is when controversy happens and anyone's wrapped up in it, we're all just as human as the rest of us because the team was clearly distracted by that and struggled to perform in that match. So um, it's never easy mentally to go into any game when there is so much going on outside of the arena, which is speaking about with family, friends and everybody else as you head on in. They were much better in the rematch against Townsville on Saturday, but the fire were too good in that game, which leaves the link at 9-7 and seven with five games remaining. The good news for them is three of those matches are against teams below them on the ladder. The bad news is they've got four of those games on the road. So it is well and truly an uphill battle from here. Uh, congratulations to Sammy Wickham, Perthlings captain, for signing a two-year deal to return to the Seattle Storm. I was well and truly expecting her to remain under Opal's coach Sandy Brondello at New York, particularly after Sammy's good friend and former Seattle championship teammate Brianna Stewart joined the team. But I'd also imagine living in Seattle would be a lot easier than living in New York when you're someone who's got a young child and Seattle is a lot closer to LA where Sammy grew up as well. So um, she will look forward to heading back to Seattle. Uh, could be playing with a couple of Aussies there with Ezzy Magbagor and Jade Melbourne, part of the uh, squad at Seattle also. So it's an interesting time for her life both on and off the court. The WNBL has a general buy this week. The Lynx are back in action against Adelaide in South Australia on February 16. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the Dribble Podcast. Remember, you can read all of your basketball news in the West Australian newspaper and keep logging on to thewest.com.au. Thank you to Danny Mills for his time. Thanks to the magnificent Kate Ryan for all of her production work. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Dribble Podcast.